Hello. Welcome to the We Are Kids podcast, where we talk about therapy, therapy practices, and best ways to support, empower, and help others become the author of their own story. I'm your host, Casey Smith, and I hope you enjoy this podcast, and please subscribe for more content. Today, outside of our normal fact-checking and trying to have a more pragmatic conversation, I want to talk about workplace trauma and challenges. Something that I feel in the social work field we don't often talk about enough. I want to start this conversation by saying that no names or company names will be listed in this podcast. With that being said, let's start. When I first got into social work in 2010, I worked for one of the best companies that I have ever worked for. They were on top of things. I always knew where I stood in the company. I was paid a reasonable amount. The training was consistent. They mandated group trainings. They followed up on everything. I constantly had people who came out to shadow and to make sure that we were following following the standards and the expectations of, of really what the client needed. Um, my first caseload had four clients on it, and each... Each client was very much different, um, as, as most people's case all time. It was a really good experience because I was doing in-home work and I was, you know, working just strictly with the kid. And um, I really tried to understand a lot about. I always saw social work as more than just I'm going to go in, and I'm just going to just work on the goals. You know, I really always wanted to go in, work on the goals, and find ways to get to help the family and the child and my supervisors get to a point that we all knew exactly what the issues were. So when I began to continue down that road, my base of everything that had happened was based in an incredibly good company, that core standard of I know exactly what things are. And of course, most of us who are in the social work field, we obviously know the you know, NASW's code of ethics that, you know, you do no harm and you're very focused on being client-centered and, you know, best practices are always something that is preached a lot while you're in school and even something if you're just, you know, maybe you haven't went to school but you've worked for a company, typically they talk about best practice, company practices, and so I think you're always trying to chase that high. Um, And by high, I mean you're always trying to chase that you know, this is the right thing, this is the ethical thing, I'm doing everything I can for the client, I'm being a good model employee, I'm doing everything that I have to do. And I've always felt very good about that. I've always felt very strong about dedicating myself to a company, dedicating myself to my coworkers, and dedicating myself to the clients. I think there becomes points, though, that most social workers, why burnout is so high, and an issue that we don't talk about, is you don't get complacent with the job. You don't get burnt out with jobs, with clients, or even, and this may sound controversial, but even with experience, I think you get burnt out with a lack of understanding of the people around you. I think you end up working for companies who may not best support you and may not see your value. Because it is very hard, whether it's social work or another job, to work for a company that you feel values you and you feel really supports you, not company you, 
You know, not I come in every day, I get all my documentation in and everything else, but looks at you for your values, the intangible things, you know, your creativity, your ability to, you know, self-reflect and do everything else. And those are all very small things that, yes, they can come up in, you know, reviews and your boss may occasionally provide you, but when you leave the company, do those things follow? Are you, you know... Are they willing to give a reference? Are they willing to have a conversation about future development? Or is it they're just so quick to move on? And in social work, it's very easy because we all know social workers, you know, they, they overworked and underpaid. That's basically the model of the social work field and you don't get in it for the money. So most social workers probably don't have a whole lot of connection with former bosses. But we all remember the bad bosses of social work. And I think that's the one thing about social work and specifically therapy that most people remember. You're much more likely to remember a bad supervisor than a good supervisor in social work, at least in my own experience. And even some experiences that I've heard from other people. And why is that? Because in social work, you don't ever... You know, let's, let's say you put in, uh, I, I had a quote that a supervisor once told me, and, it's, and it has stuck with me. In social work, you don't ever hear if things just go plainly right. You know, if things are, let's say you're doing an update, uh, a DJJ update or a DOJ update or something, and you just put it in and nothing happens, and it's perfect. Nobody says anything to you because it's in, it's perfect, it's fine. It's such a client-focused thing that if there's no issue, there's no conversation. But if there's an issue, that conversation is double what other fields experience because you're not just having a conversation about, you know, oh, I forgot to restock this aisle or, oh, I didn't make a killing on today's thing. You're having a conversation not just about the documentation, not just about the action. You're having a conversation about so many intangible things because you're talking about a human life. And I think the thing that gets mixed up, especially in the social work field, is just as much as you're talking about a human life, you're talking about a human life in the social worker, in the social worker's perception, in the social work's dialogue, in the social work's views, and quite often when you're just doing note after note after note, day after day after day, those conversations don't typically happen. And it's easy to say why. Because it's, you know, if there's no issue, there's no issue. So I feel like one of the major things that all social workers need to do is we need to be willing to have that vulnerable conversation with ourselves and with other people. And by being willing to have that vulnerable conversation, I mean really being willing and able to take a step back and want to have the conversations with our supervisor about what is our value. Do you recognize, you know, the things that I do on a day-to-day basis? Do you see how hard this is on, on us? Because that point of what makes a good social worker and a bad social worker, and there are good social workers and bad social workers, it's not that social workers are unethical. It's not that social workers are in it for the wrong reasons. It's not that social workers are even burnt out. It's that social workers get traumatized and triggered and they get to a point and by traumatized and triggered I mean they get traumatized and triggered by bad bosses that famous quote of people don't quit jobs they quit supervisors 
no other field is like that as much as social work is like that. So social work is the epitome of a make it or break it with a good supervisor or a bad supervisor. Because everything you do is a conversation. It has to be a conversation. And maybe it isn't always a conversation. And maybe sometimes that's the problem. So what am I actually saying? What do I feel that social work actually needs outside of just having the hard conversation? What, in my opinion, what social workers need beyond anything else is we need a recognition of how do you understand if you are experiencing PTSD from a bad supervisor? How do you understand if you have been triggered by your current supervisor because of a past bad supervisor? Because that's a conversation that typically doesn't happen. That very quickly, it's like if you're in a relationship, it's very easy and you're cheated on and then you're, you know, you start seeing small signs. You're obviously more willing to be like, hmm, maybe my current spouse is cheating on me because my past spouse is cheating on me. There's not a whole lot of a difference. It's just a taboo topic that nobody talks about in social work is PTSD from a supervisor. You know, am I going to be left out to dry if all hits the fan? Is my supervisor going to micromanage me for the entire day or week? You know, do I know that I'm a valued member of the team? Do I know that I'm doing it the right way? Or are they going to tell me every day that I'm doing it the wrong way? Am I willing to have that hard conversation? Or are they just going to be passive and say it? I mean, there's, there's hundreds of things that, that can go into it. And the problem is, is we don't talk about it. We don't say, you know... If something's going wrong in a, in a supervision, you know, supervision employee relationship, we don't talk about the conversation of, hey, you know, it wasn't what you said in that situation that was, that triggered me, that got me frustrated, that I wasn't as focused or I didn't share as much information in that situation as I should because of dot, 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 because that's weird, because it feels like if you say that, that you're downing your past supervisor. And no supervisor wants to feel like you're comparing them, that, um, you know, that you don't feel comfortable enough. The entire subject is incredibly taboo because all of it's weird. You're walking a fine line between not bashing your former employer and supervisor, but also wanting to tell your current supervisor about why you may be struggling to communicate something, why you may be struggling to do something, or why you feel a certain way. And it is perfectly normal. Because it's not a topic that's talked about in school. So here's what all of us need to do. Take a second, be vulnerable, and take an account of these five things. And think about which one of these five things impacts your current relationship with your current supervisor based upon a past, a past supervisor. Number one, can you talk about documentation? When we're talking about documentation, 
I mean, asking questions if you don't understand something. Being willing to talk about when you've done documentation the right way and seeking some appraise and some appraisal. Are you willing to ask and receive feedback? And is documentation something that is reviewed and that you and your supervisor could read the same document and understand? And that last one is important because a lot of times people don't recognize that the documentation and your supervisor reading your documentation and being able to understand your point of view can be the difference between you being on the same page during the supervision and being on a completely different page. It could be the difference between you know, having a good transition and crisis situations, or it can be the difference between bad transitions and crisis situations. Number two, do you trust your company and your supervisor? These two things are obviously a little different because there's a difference between trusting your supervisor and trusting your company. But your supervisor is part of the company. They can fire you, they can hire you, they can demote you, they can promote you. So, when you're asking yourself on the topic of trust within your supervisor, ask yourself these three things. Why don't I trust my supervisor? Or why do I trust my supervisor? What does trust in a clinical or social work sense mean to me? And what does it look like when we have an issue? Whether it's a crisis, whether it's appraisal, whether it's any other situation that evokes that trust factor. What does the conversation look like? What does the documentation look like? What does the process, and by process I mean, do they go with you? Are you talking more? Is there an increase in development? What are the steps that go into you building that trust? Number three, and this one may be one of the most important ones. What are your traumas? And what are your triggers? What traumas do you have from past bosses? Did you have a boss who micromanaged? Did you have a boss who you just simply were not communicating with effectively, repeatedly? Did you have a boss that maybe you didn't feel really took the time to understand you and didn't promote your needs and you didn't feel that you were gonna be moving up the ladder? Did you have a boss who put you in unsafe situations? You know, finding those things that made you quit your last jobs or made you quit multiple jobs. You know, maybe you've had a boss or a small thing that's happened throughout your life that you truly didn't understand the full complexion of it. And then you go back and you kind of think and you're like, you know, the one thing that's impacted my ability to trust um, or to collaborate more with my supervisor is realizing that they would fire me or this would happen or that would happen or, you know, I don't get close for this reason or that reason. You know, being willing to talk about 
those core issues and being vulnerable within yourself is important. Uh, that leads us to the number three thing. What is your plan for your trauma and your triggers related to supervision and bad companies? What are you going to do to move past what has happened? And when I'm saying this, I don't mean you're going to go see a counselor, although that's fine. In fact, you should. If it's really that bad, you should. But what are you going to do within the scope of it? You know, are you going to go in and you're going to tell your boss, hey, I recognized tomorrow or I recognized today or yesterday that one of the things that I struggle with is telling my boss that I disagree with them or, or telling them that I don't understand something or not feeling as confident in my own abilities but not wanting to come across as incompetent. You know, what is your plan for being able to address those things? You know, what coping skills are you going to do? The fourth thing. Now that you've discovered your trauma, you've discovered your plan, what are you going to do in order to assess how to reduce these traumas and triggers? So this part is more about what's going to be your long-standing trait. And this may be challenging because after you assess your past traumas and triggers and things that you didn't like, I want you to compare your current situation that you're in. I want you to look at where you are now, the company that you're with, the things that you're doing, and ask yourself, how many of the things that you highlighted that were past triggers are triggers now? Because not all companies are created equal, and you may be in a situation that is not healthy. And recognizing these triggers, recognizing these patterns, either one or two things can happen. You can address them, or you may, you may become to understand that maybe the company you're working for doesn't value as much as you think that they should, or is just the same as some of the other companies you've worked for. And having that conversation, especially with yourself, is important. Number five. Looking at your own past experiences outside of past triggers. Now, this one is important because most social workers are in the field for several different reasons. But typically, it's because we have some form of a connection to wanting to help other people. It definitely is never about the money, as we all know. So when you're having this conversation with yourself about why you're in the social work field, Acknowledging the things that got you into the field. The things that, you know, led you to taking a break. The things that you've worked upon in your own life, maybe your own triggers and your own traumas. And really seeking to understand how your workplace triggers and your personal triggers intertwine with each other. And how can you have a plan to address each one of these? How are you going to move forward? Because ultimately, 
as most of you who follow our podcast and follow our blog know, a large thing that we always seek to do is to look at how we can move forward and how to be vulnerable and how to have the hard conversations with ourselves. And part of doing that is taking a step back and assessing where we're at. And the only way to do that is to assess where we're at is by assessing how we got here. And the only way to assess how we got here is by understanding the steps. Because if you don't understand the steps, you won't understand how to move forward. Or what you would do if you ended up back in the same situation. It's to build a roadmap and to become more empowered within your abilities and the abilities of others in order to help you in times of crisis and need. I want to thank you all for joining us on the We Are Kids podcast and encourage you to check out our resources. As most of you know, we have um, just increased our our online presence. We now offer multiple resource guides specifically for those of you in North Carolina. We just added an entire 200-page list of mental health facilities. We also included a new list of resources for political resources as this is a election year or a presidential election year and we want to make sure that everyone is informed and has the information um, from a non-biased way um, and thank you all so much and until next time Godspeed. Come to a close I'd like to remind you all that you can find more content including blogs resources for families therapy models, practices, interventions, and guides by logging on to www.wearekids.org and clicking on the needed link. Thank you so much for being with us, and until next time, be blessed.